one of the great privileges we have as God's children is that we know that when we pray, that he hears us. And if he hears us and we're praying according to his will, then we can trust that we have what we ask for. What I want to kind of get into today is talking about our relationship to the Father. What does that mean for us? Um, three points that I think will help us to, to live it out a little better. Before we um, get into the scripture, if you want to, you can turn to Romans 8. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 17. I want to let you know that my name is Sean, Sean Clemens, not quite as poetic as these other brothers. Um, I'm one of your campus ministers, and I find it a great privilege to be able to be here to share with you what I believe that God has given me to talk, talk about today. Um, I've titled this sermon, The Honor of Being Chosen. I think sometimes um, the way our society is, especially being here in America, um, how common it is to hear people say that they're Christian and you look at their behavior and you're like, there's no way that that, that person is a Christian. But, you know, I don't judge. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying, you know, your lifestyle is saying something else. Um, there's become a commonality in this idea that we're all God's children, that we lose sight of an honor that has been bestowed to us. Ephesians 1 says before the foundations of the earth that he chose us to be a part of his family. So I really, really feel like this is going to help us a lot. Um, but before we get started, let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful to be here together. We're thankful, Lord God, that we can pray for um, Pastor Duke and know that you hear us. We, we're thankful, Lord God, that we can come together as a family and know that your presence shows up, Lord God, and we can bask in your glory. So we thank you so much for the love and care that you continue to, to bestow upon us. I ask that you will use me as a tool, as a carpenter uses a hammer, hammering a nail, Lord God. Speak to your people today and graph it upon our hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen. Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. Man, this is way bigger than my iPad. <laughs> um, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children. Children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. There's a unique position that we have as God's children. As we look at um, verse 14, if you, you go back to that, verse 14 says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. If we kind of look at this passage from maybe a negative perspective, essentially what Paul is saying is that there are some people who can be classified as God's children, those that are led by the Spirit, and then there are those, unfortunately, who are not considered God's children. Those are the ones that are not led by his Spirit. This is very important for us to remember, because as I was saying before, sometimes we can have kind of a herd mentality. And if everybody is calling themselves a Christian, if everybody is calling themselves a child of God, then we kind of just follow whatever the popular opinion is in terms of our behavior. It kind of, it begins to dictate to us what we think God is. 
how we would describe God, how, how we would even look at him. We, we allow popular culture to define what it means when, when God says that he is love in first John, when it, when it's written that God is love. We allow popular culture because everybody is a child of God to, to begin to define the God that who has distinctly, who has uniquely chosen you to be his son or daughter. And so we can't lose sight of that. J.R. Packer, who is a well-renowned theologian, wrote a very popular book called Knowing God. He says, you sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Listen to this. Father is the Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. See, when, when, we, when we kind of just group and we have this group herd mentality, we, we begin to be led by other things. Many of us, you know, you have jobs and, and maybe things that are leading you are being dictated by what you're seeing on CNN. Maybe the way that the economy is moving up and down as you look at things, as you, as you fo- follow the financial reports, maybe that's what's leading you in the way that you should go. Some of us even choosing our degree programs as we're entering into school based on where economy, where things are being projected. We're led by that. Maybe we're, we're led by a desire to have a spouse or we're, 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 we're led by um, the pride of life or excuse me, the, the lust of the eye. Things that we see that we think that we want, these become the governing factors by which we live life. The way we kind of go about doing things, the way we follow after. But here, what Paul is saying, no, the children of God are led by the Spirit. And just to kind of point out how that can be compartmentalized, I want us to look over at Luke chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. What we're going to see is how how um, Peter responded to Jesus' request. And I want you to pay attention to his response after Jesus did what he did. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, here, um, the author is talking about Jesus. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats, which one, which was Simon's. He asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, 
Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Did you see, you see, you see Peter's response? Man, you know, Jesus, I know you're a preacher. I, I know I just heard the great sermon and God has used you. But look, man, I'm a fisherman. What is it that you know? You know, you, you, you're in the religious realm, right? But I'm over here. I'm a hardworking blue collar guy and I know fishing. That's what I do. But master, you know, if you say so, I'll do it. Let me humor you. Let me let me humor you. But then he recognized that, hold on, God actually knows something outside of just what the Bible says. That actually he holds all knowledge. And in fact, that he can con control creation, causing his nest to be filled. So what was his response? He fell down and repented because he had taken God out of that realm in which he knows all things. He can do all things and he's all powerful. And he redefined him as a God that's only over religion. How often do we do that? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to show up at your job with you? Are you asking for wisdom on how to deal with whatever the issues and obstacles that are in front of you? Or are you compartmentalizing God? Because he can only know about the, you know, he can only talk about healing or, or me getting into heaven. That's, that's what God is concerned about. My father in heaven isn't really concerned about my job, but in fact he is. He wants you to succeed. You know, I have, I have a few children, um, and thank God I've, I've drank the water. We have a baby on the way. My beautiful wife, Crystal Clemens, um, we, have, we have a baby on the way due in January, so I'm excited about that. Um, two boys, they want to play football, and I don't tell them to clean up and, and, and do their chores, and then I will help you with football, or then I will help you kind of achieve your goals. These things are independent. My desire for them as a father is for them to succeed, not based on their behavior there, but based on the fact that they're my child. That's how God is. How God loves us. Now, the world doesn't revolve around you. It revolves around God and his will and his purposes. So there are certainly times where he will tell you, no, he won't lead you in this direction or that direction. But please understand, he loves you and he wants you to succeed. So if you come before him, and as it says in Proverbs 3, let me um, jump over there. I want to make sure I say it right. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That's all areas of your life. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. But it doesn't just end there. Peter, excuse me, Paul in Romans 8, 14, he's not just talking about being led in our personal life. He's not just being, he's not just telling us how he will lead us um, to, 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 to find your, your spouse or, or lead you to that perfect job or lead you to a church. And though he wants to do that, specifically what Paul is talking about here is being led by the spirit to kill sin. When we have an impersonal faith, we have a group herd mentality, we try to please God in ways, or I should say, in our own strength. 
that's how we try to go about doing it. And, and so you hear, man, I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best not to look at that stuff on the internet. I'm, I'm doing my best not to cuss this person out because you know, they're getting on my last nerve, but you know, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm, I'm working hard. I, 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 if, if, if the Lord would just help me to hold on, I know that I can do this thing. But the reality is God's not asking you to do it by yourself. And so Peter, he links these, excuse me, Paul links these ideas from verse 13, where it says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. The second half of this verse. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So how do you do that? For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. If you are led by God to kill sin, you can identify yourself in that unique position of being a child of God. Now, as I was saying, the, the group herd mentality kind of comes up with its own plans on how to worship God. And, and, and there's a certain way that I can do it. And, you know, maybe I'll get a little verse today. Maybe I'll pray a little bit when I'm at church. But I don't have to really be about these things because God knows my heart. He loves me. And that's what the group says. But God has given a specific way in which he wants us to worship him. We should pray without ceasing. We should pray without ceasing. Take everything to God in prayer. We should read our word every day. Every day you should read your Bible. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. Why is this important? Because there are certain actions you just can't understand that are sinful. And it's that still small voice that prompts you and says, no, no, son, my son, that, that is wrong. But if you're not used to hearing his voice, if you're just if you're just one of many and you don't have the unique position of sitting in his presence and, and hearing what he has to say, you won't respond to those prompts because they won't be loud enough to you. You won't be tuned into the frequency that you need to be able to hear what God would have for you, for, for you to do. He wants you to kill sin because it's a better life for you if you kill sin. Sin always um, overpromises and underdelivers. It overpromises and underdelivers. We chase after the things that the world has only to find that it's empty. And you know it. I know it. I don't know why sin still tempts me. I know. I've lived long enough to see some of the dumb mistakes that I've made and how hollow I felt afterwards. But yet and still, I still will go after it if I live according to my flesh. But God has put in a provision where he will lead you by his spirit. And understand, it's not uh, come get in my presence and then it's over now. I'm going to go live it out by myself. He says he will lead us. Speaking of the intimacy he wants to have with us. Speaking of how he wants to walk with you through this process. He wants to have the conversation with you during the day. Not in a strange and weird way. So I just want to make sure I say that. But God speaks to us and he helps us. He will help you to understand when you come up against the issue you don't know, he can help you. If you ever get an opportunity to speak with Pastor Sean Perkins over at um, the Chantilly Church, he tells a testimony of how as a, as a detective, the Holy Spirit would lead him to find items that criminals had left behind. This is amazing. God will actually help you in that, in that regard because he will speak to you and he will lead you day by day. He wants to help you to kill sin. 
He doesn't want sin to dominate your life. He doesn't want you to continue to fall into a ditch. He wants you to succeed and excel in life. So this unique place of being considered a son is an honor. It's an honor that we have that we don't want to lose sight of. We don't want the enemy to come and strip away from us this idea that we are uniquely his children by making us a part of the group. Secondly, we have this great opportunity to serve God as a son. It should change the mentality and the way by which we do uh, or we, we live out Christianity. And what I mean by that is we can either serve God as a servant or we begin to approach him actually as a child. I'll just reference it. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 23 through 29. What you'll find there, Moses, he's kind of recapping what's been going on as they've had the exodus. They've gone through the Red Sea. They've gone to um, Mount Sinai. And, and he, he's just kind of laying out everything that's happened, some of the promises that God has made and, and their response. And in particular here in chapter 5, he's recounting what it was like for them as they saw Moses go up on Mount Sinai to go into the presence of God. And I mean, this, this scene is amazing. If you ever go back to Exodus and you begin to read it, what you'll see is that the mountain was smoking, it was shaking, and the cloud came down and God was speaking with thunder. It was truly an amazing event that if any of us had been in front of, I'm sure my heart would have been pumping big time and, 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 and I would have fallen to my knees just in fear because we serve an awesome and mighty God. And their response to Moses was, hey, you, I mean, we're, we're excited that you were able to go up there and, and spend some time with God and come back and speak to us. It's amazing to see that a man can live and be in God's presence. But uh, you go up there, you go talk to God, we'll stay here and you come back and talk to us. And then we'll just do what God says. Now, it was good for them at that point, but there's been something that a bridge that has been made by the blood of Jesus that allows us to have a different response. But yet and still, our response seems to be the same. We depend on Pastor David to spend time in his word. You go talk to God. I'll just come on Sundays. And that's what our agreement will be. And so we don't get the intimacy we have to hear a, a psalmist sing and, and God proclaiming, look, I want to spend time with you. I want to spend time with you. I want to spend time with you because it's not happening in our individual lives. And so God uses other means to draw you in because there's a relationship that he wants you to have. But there's a part of us, just like the nation of Israel, that is still trying to work to this place of sonship, work to this relationship that God offers to us. And so we're working to and not from. The blood of Jesus affords us the opportunity to work from this idea that I am a child of God. In verse 15 of Romans chapter 8 Paul really um, opens up this idea of the spirit of adoption. And it says, um, when he says that he's given us this, can we, can we pull that back up? We, we've been given the spirit of adoption. Um, verse 15, um, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
See, that sense of servitude, that, that sense of let me get it done so I don't get punished by God is that spirit of slavery that the enemy would love for us to walk underneath. But there's something different here when, when, when Paul writes that we have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Now that language doesn't, doesn't connotate the same things for us as it would have for someone who is living at Rome in the time that he wrote it. Because to be adopted was something that was, well, let me tell you how um, Albert Barnes, another theologian, how he describes what the spirit of adoption is. The feeling of affection, love and confidence, which pertains to children, not the servile, trembling spirit of slaves, but the temper and affectionate regard of sons. Adoption is the taking and treating a stranger as one's own child. It is applied to Christians because God treats them as his children. He receives them into his relation. Though they were by nature strangers and enemies, it implies four things. One, that we by nature had no claim on him. Number two, that therefore the act is one of mere kindness, of pure Sovereign love. That we are now, number three, that we are now under his protection and care. And finally, that we are bound to manifest towards him the spirit of children and yield to him obedience. We didn't have a claim on him. So we've kind of talked about that already, which was my, the first point he makes there. The act was of pure sovereign love. Um, and that we are under his protection and care. Um, the fourth one is where I really want to kind of hone in at, that we are bound to manifest towards him the spirit of children and yield to him obedience. This idea of working from and not to, because we are children, because we have been adopted into the family, given full rights of a son is the way the Romans would have seen it. The same way you would have looked at a biological son, the same type of rights that they would have received from their family is the same type of rights that we have received as adopted children, which would have been the way the Romans would have looked at an adopted child. Because of this grafting into the family, it begins to change. Our, it should change our perspective on why we live the way that we live. Matthew 5 um, Part of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus, uh, let me jump over there. It's got a, verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. See those two references there that Jesus made? We do this because this is who our father is. We live to a certain standard because our king, who is the king of kings, has drawn me into his family. And now I will act like someone that's from heaven, right? Like my, my last name is Christian, so this is how Christians behave, so this is how I will behave. I'm no longer trying to, to do this out of a sense of fear 
that if I don't act the right way, God somehow is going to punish me. Yes, as a father, he will discipline me. He will correct my behavior. But I can live from a space. I can be the person that I've been called to be because I am his child. Because I am a part of the family. Understanding this unique position of being a son of God, child of God, changes my perspective where I live from this idea and not work towards this idea. Finally, verse 17, verse 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 8, Paul, he says in verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You, you realize we only live maybe some of us maybe up to 100 years. And if you put that in, in light of the idea that 100 years is nothing but a drop in a bucket to 1,000 years, maybe 10% of that time. But if you kind of expand the mental timeline out a little bit more and you go to 10,000, 100,000, maybe even a million years, you'll realize 100 years is only a speck of time. What does a hundred years compare to eternity? So if we're living now in such a way where we're more dominated by our thoughts for today than we are for eternity, we could be making a horrible mistake. I mean, listen to this great promise that you being a child of God are heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ Jesus. I mean, what in this world can capture our attention more than this idea that on the other side of my life, God says that I will inherit everything because he owns everything. Oh, man, I don't think you guys are getting this idea that it's, it's something that's far greater than any kind of fantasy island that we could live on here on this earth. You know, like having a crib in the Hamptons or living out in Beverly Hills. I mean, I know we have a lot of comfort here in Northern Virginia, but allow your imagination to go. There is absolutely nothing here on planet Earth that can compare to being the heir of the King of Kings, of the creator of the universe. There's nothing. There is nothing there. And so we can dream. We don't have to dream about getting a new car. We can dream about what does he mean by this idea that I'm a joint heir with Christ. We can dream about these things. If we would just shift our focus from being in the here and now to the eternal and we live in light of that eternity, the honor of being his son, being his daughter will begin to dominate the way that I live, the way it will begin to dominate when I come to work, when I leave work, when I go home and I interact with my family. It changes my perspective. It allows us to live in a way that will be pleasing to our father. But I'll be remiss if I don't point out the thing that he snuck in at the end. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. Are you willing to suffer with him? Are you willing to suffer with him? Are you willing to live in such a fashion that you will be identified with the one that the world hates. 
when we lose perspective of eternity, it can be a tough choice. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I can. I'm working in campus ministry, I have opportunity every now and then um, where we, we take kids to this big group meeting we call Campus Harvest. And from time to time, we'll have certain students who will get excited in the moment and they'll like, yes, I want to answer the call to ministry. And then they find out what it looks like to be a campus minister and, and how you have to raise your, your salary. And, and that's not necessarily something that's very comfortable. They look at the cost and say, I don't want that. And my question is, are you not willing to suffer for the one who is willing to die for you? The one who created everything, subjected himself to have to take in oxygen to breathe? See, when, we, when we're, um, we're able to um, look at things from an eternal perspective and we see the great honor that has been given to us to be his children, we are willing to walk in the same pathway that, that Jesus walked out for us. And we're willing to go through suffering because we know that there is hope on the other side. Even if we're suffering in our bodies, we, we pray for Pastor Duke. And I'm believing, I wholeheartedly believe that he will be healed. He will recover and have a great testimony. But the fact is, we have hope. We understand that there is greater glory on the other side. His body will be perfected on the other side if God chooses to call him home. It's not something for us to cry in the sense that, that yes, we will lose a loved one and we won't be able to have the intimacy with him that we can, we can share with him now. But there's something greater that he has been living for, that he has been a vessel for all, all the years that he has served our Heavenly Father that we can be excited about. And so now with the perspective of eternity um, at hand, we look at suffering, we look at the, the hardships that are there, we can truly say, you know what, it's worth it. Because there is glory on the other side. There is glory that I will share with Jesus. I don't really understand that fully at this point in my life, but I know that it's going to be something that is amazing. Talk to you guys about a couple of different things all pertaining to one point, that there is an honor in being chosen by God. And he absolutely chose us before the foundations of the earth. And I can walk with my shoulders up a little bit. I can say, yes, I'm being holy because my daddy is holy. I can worship him because the, uh, I've been an adopted child and because of that spirit of adoption, I can cry out, Abba, Father. An intimate term that up until then, only Jesus seemed to have used towards God. But we've been invited to, to, to recognize God the same way. So I can live as a son, not as a servant. And finally, being chosen allows me to live in light of eternity. I don't have to just remain focused on the here and now. Now, these are some great promises and we have, can be full of hope. But as we bow our heads and close our eyes, there may be some here who don't recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior. The precious promises of being led by the Spirit, understanding that you're a son or a daughter, looking forward to a great inheritance only came because Jesus paid the price for for the sins that we've committed. 
Jesus lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we should have died. But he rose from the dead on the third day proving that he was the son of God. And because he was willing to take on the wages of sin, our heavenly father is offering to you eternal life. So if there's anyone here who hasn't um, taken advantage of that, understanding that we're not all children of God, I want to extend an opportunity for you to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And just ask that you would just raise your hand if, if that's something you want to do. Amen. One thing that I know about our pastor, Pastor David, is that his heart desire is for us to get out, to fill up these chairs, for us to tear down this curtain back here and fill this building up because we're out sharing this good news. So as I close, I just want to encourage you. I want to, to just to, to, to uh, charge you to go and share this good news and stop looking at friends and family members like they really are children of God. You know the truth. And it's so unloving of us not being willing to share the truth with people who we say that we love. So feel compelled this week to go out, to invite a friend, to, to talk to them about the good news of the gospel. I just want to encourage you to do that.